Good evening, everyone. Mm. I'm Minjika, and welcome to M Pavilion. Um, I'm Robert Buckingham, um, and on behalf of the Naomi Milgram Foundation and M Pavilion, I'd like to welcome you all to this evening's M Talk um, in wonderfully um, uh, in wonderful Melbourne weather, a little bit of everything, um, uh, and where. Tonight we're going to have a discussion about the urban, residential and cultural planning of the South Bank Arts Precinct, <laughs> a very freewheeling discussion uh, which is going to be led by uh, Wendy Lassica. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge um, the uh, Boonarong people, the, tr the, tr the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, and indeed this space has been a meeting place for thousands of years. Um, and of course we pay our respects to their land, uh, to their ancestors, and to their elders, past, present, and into the future. Um, I'd also like to thank all our partners um, for their support of the M Pavilion's free public program, especially the City of Melbourne, um, ANZ, and the State Government through Creative Victoria. Um, as I said, uh, tonight's M Talk is led by urban planner, theatre producer, choreographer and dancer Wendy Lassica, who tonight is going to choreograph and move uh, a panel of uh, esteemed experts, which we're also recording, so you can tell all your friends to um, dial up um, M Pavilion's library. Um, our website has many of the talks which take place um, during our program. Um, Wendy this evening is joined by artist, author and arts journalist Ty Snaith, um, arts patron and founder of M Pavilion, Naomi Milgram, theatre director and artistic director of Malthouse, Matt Luton, and architect and director of City, of Des uh, of City Design for Melbourne, Rob Adams. Um, but I'll allow Wendy to tell you a little bit more. Thank you, Wendy. <coughs> Thank you, Robert. Well, here we are sitting in the South Bank Arts Precinct. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So this area, as Robert mentioned, this area has a significant history that's thousands of years old. But for the last 50 years, it seems to have collected many of the major arts and cultural institutions as they co-locate. So we can look across and we can see the Arts Centre and the NGV, and then round the corner, the Melbourne Recital Centre and the Melbourne Theatre Company and the ABC. And then further around is the MSO, the Malthouse Theatre, Chunky Move, and um, ACCA. And behind the Arts Centre is the Australian Ballet and the Australian Opera, Testing Grounds, and Acme X. Sounds like we've got some spirits hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> so there are many urban design challenges within this precinct that really are the remnants of poor planning decisions and the precinct's history as an industrial zone. But layered on that, there are other shifts that have taken place in the last 50 years. The first is the changing landscape in the arts and cultural practice. So from new art form developments to interdisciplinary work, to the influence of technology, and really importantly, the proliferation of small to medium-sized organisations and independent artists who are really key contributors to the arts and cultural ecology. The other major change in South Bank has been the dramatic growth of a substantial residential population, which according to the City of Melbourne is only expected to keep increasing. So to begin the discussion, South Bank from precinct to neighbourhood. 
we have the benefit, benefit of an eminent panel and we'll hear a range of responses and perspectives. But before we start, I'd just like to introduce each of them. So Naomi Milgram is a philanthropist and businesswoman and the commissioner of the M Pavilion, where we sit. Through her foundation, she initiates and supports great public design and architecture projects that explore design's close interconnections with contemporary culture. In doing so, she seeks to create new public and private partnerships in the civic space. Rob Adams is, is the much awarded and decorated director of the city design and projects of the city of Melbourne and a member of the Urbanisation Council of the World Economic Forum. With over 40 years experience as an architect and urban designer, and 33 of those at the City of Melbourne, he's made a significant contribution to the rejuvenation of central Melbourne. His current focus is on how cities could be used to accommodate and mitigate rapid population growth and the onset of climate change. He has published and presented extensively on the subject of transforming cities for a sustainable future. Matt Lutton is the theatre and opera director, is a theatre and opera director <laughs> and the artistic director and co-CEO of the Malthouse Theatre. He's directed more than 35 productions in Australia and internationally, including collaborations with a number of theatre companies and opera companies around Australia and overseas. His most recent work was a new production of Edward II and Picnic at Hanging Rock, which will tour to Edinburgh next January. And Ty Snaith is a practicing artist, curator, and writer. Since 2001, Ty's worked as a curator and producer on numerous large-scale projects for festivals including the Melbourne Fringe, Next Wave, Emerging Writers Festival, Melbourne Art Fair, and the Rotterdam Contemporary Art Fair. Ty regularly reviews visual art around Melbourne on the Smart Arts program on 3RRR, and she has also written and illustrated four picture books for Thames and Hudson. So I'd like to begin with Naomi. Um, as a philanthropist, a community leader, and a former board member of a couple of organisations in the precinct, you've interacted with, with the precinct over a number of years. And given that engagement, how do you see its role for Melbourne? I think the possibilities are endless and um, I'm sure Rob can talk much more um, with much more authority on this, but the first plan that I saw for the South Bank Arts Precinct was presented some 30 years ago. Oh. Um, and last year I saw a similar plan <laughs> which had been moved from one side of the table to the other table. The plan for this precinct is has to be an ambitious, uh, inclusive plan and unfortunately, at the moment, most people are concerned about their own patch rather than an expansive view of what this South Bank Arts Precinct could hold for Melbourne. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that the right-hand side of St Kilda Road and going around the corner um, holds a lot of potential. But the buildings that have been built there in the last three or four years are still um, putting concrete fronts on our street fronts there, and certainly not persuading us that we should be inclusive and active in that precinct. 
Um, my view is that we have an arts precinct which actually goes from Kingsway all the way up to the museum, past the State Library, we have ACME. So our journey is a, a great journey right through Melbourne City and the capacity to link every organisation all the way through is huge, but unfortunately we don't seem to have a common goal which brings all of this together. Okay, thank you. Well, um, Rob, um, given that, that sense of ambition and the need to, um, or the, the desire to make it as inclusive as possible, you could really uh, look at the arts precincts on two different scales. So in terms of it being an attractor for dynamic activity, which also then brings audiences from all over Melbourne, and simultaneously um, operating on a much more integral neighbourhood level. And I'm just wondering um, how, how, what your response is to whether that's happening now or how that might develop. Look, I, I, I think it's not happening at the moment and I think Naomi's touched on one of the reasons and that is that we've got institutions that are internalised rather than actually externalising themselves. So we're sitting tonight in a pavilion that is patently art in the public realm uh, and, and the engagement with that is much easier than having to go through a front door that has no other way of actually entering that facility. So I think that's one of the challenges. How do we externalise what's happening? The other, and the impact of internalising rather than externalising is the, the victim is the street. And the street is the major public space. So if we can't have active streets, it's very difficult to have an active area. And I think uh, South Bank suffers a little from that. And sadly, I think uh, South Bank used to be very well connected with the central city. It used to be the track that you came over Prince's Bridge and you turned right and at 45 degrees, you went down to where the South Melbourne Town Hall is. And it went over the, the swamp and it was actually the major link. Mm -hmm. And with the building of the, you know, the various arts facilities, the concert hall, the art centre and, and the gallery, <coughs> they fronted onto St Kilda Road. And what they did is they started to back onto where you actually connected with the rest of the area behind. So I think one of our challenges is to reopen that connection from mm -hmm. Princess Bridge back down to the Malt House and ABC and the ACCA and the various facilities down there. And I think that would also allow people to get a better mental map of the area and carry with them a vision of what this place could be. So like in many areas in Melbourne, I think unless you've got that plan and you're working towards it incrementally over time, it's not going to happen. Mm. And the third problem you've got is I don't think the institutions down here talk to each other enough. You know, there's a lot of discussion around a plan that occurs for a year, and then everybody goes behind closed doors again. And I think that's a real problem. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, I've got to say, I think the university's making a good fist of trying to externalise itself and open up the campus down here. And uh, I think that is uh, going to be beneficial long term, particularly if they bring more students down here. I think the rest of us need to actually follow from that. I mean, the city is looking at South Bank Boulevard and turning that into a linear open space. But there's a lot more that the other institutions could do to bring it together as a coherent piece of choreography. 
Okay. Well, with that in mind, Matt... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> as the artic artistic director of one of those organisations... Yes. <laughs> um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you operate in an environment where those organisations could be collaborative partners mm. or also could be competitors? Um, you know, what, you know how, how do you operate in that neighbourhood, I suppose, of um, cultural organisations? Um, well, I, I agree. I don't think there is enough conversation between the arts organisations currently. I think there's certainly collegial exchange and discussion, but that doesn't really go into the art making. There isn't a shared, you know, uh, it's very rare to see artists working in the visual arts space moving into the performing arts space and there being a clear sort of pathway and connection between them. But I think um, from a precinct point of view that uh, the idea of a precinct being a place of sort of civic connection and civic conversation I think relies on a lot of points of difference, it relies on actually sort of uh, provocation and conflict I think occurring between the, the buildings and the architecture itself and what has been created in those buildings. So I think um, I think there's a way that uh, if the organisations uh, are starting to be more communicative and transparent about their planning and work, I think you'll start to see uh, more ideas being passed between them. I think there's a lot of shared preoccupations. I think all the art forms have similar zeitgeists and similar ideas they're exploring, but um, I think there's only a small pocket of audience that moves between them all. Um, and I think the more that that... Uh, shared audience can be expanded. I think that more sort of um, compelling reason to see a precinct support that. Okay. Um, and Ty, for you as an independent artist um, who uh, has... Um, <laughs> sorry. You've, you know, you've, you've worked extensively throughout Melbourne and internationally and uh, you've worked on projects of your own and in partnership with a number of leading um, contemporary arts organisations in Melbourne. What's your relationship with the South Bank Arts Precinct? Well, I actually went to the VCA about 10 years ago and I spent a lot of time walking through this area and, and dreaming about things that could happen, you know. And I think the thing about artists is that we're opportunists, so we don't need to be given a lot half of the time. And I used to dream of these possibilities of what could happen under South Bank, under the, you know, art centre there and someone could do a live installation or things that could happen in the police stables, which now is happening. But I think... Like in preparation for this panel, I was doing a lot of, I guess, thinking about the memorable times uh, for me as an artist in this area and in a civic, very much a public sort of sense rather than in the NGV or yeah. in the Malt House. Which, there's lots of those memories too or in Acre. But for me, I think the really strong memories are things like, um, you know, in 2006 during the, the whole Stolen Wealth um, demonstrations and the fire that was lit in King's Domain and, and the, the radical things actually are really pertinent in my memory or, you know, when Ivan Milat did the cow in the forecourt of the NGV, not inside the NGV, or when things like that happened that just happened. And and I think there's actually quite a lot of them if you look at the, the history of this space and this sort of surrounds. And, and going right back to when, you know, the Kulin Nation peoples came and um, had protests or 
their own type of disagreements were aired. I, I like the way that this space can be a coming together. Mm. And as you said, um, connecting those institutions, but I think the connecting word is the key. It's like the spaces between that mm. perhaps it's about laws that need to be relaxed in order for artists to come in at a grassroots level, mm. maybe ground up kind of level. That's my take on it anyway, yeah. I think one of the things that might actually help, and uh, I hope this is not too provocative, but uh, I think if you actually said to all the institutions, you know what, you can't have any more. Don't sit around <laughs> waiting for someone to come along and give you another toy. Mm. Let's see how well we're utilising what we've got. And once we've actually worked that out, then let's look at how we could share between each other with the facilities we've got. And I saw this happen at Cape Town University. I mean, I was there, sadly, in the, uh, the mid-60s. I, you know, it's a long, long time ago. There were 3,000 students there. All the baby boomers were coming to those universities. Cape Town couldn't expand because it was on Table Mountain. So they actually said, how well are we using the stuff we've got? And lecture theatres, 17.5% of the day. So they stopped building and they started timetabling. When I went back 30 years later, they trebled the students on the campus. And you know the only difference? It seemed so vibrant. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was happening. So maybe sitting on the sidelines waiting for another thing mm. is not going to serve you. I think ties it on the head, you know. Let's get out there and actually use the stuff we've got mm -hmm. and use it cleverly and smartly. Yeah, absolutely. And the first time that we looked at the South Bank Arts Precinct, every organisation was asked for their wish list. So everybody came up with 3,000 more metres of GLA and 10,000 more metres and more space and more concrete. They never thought that they should internalise and say, well, what space have I got and how can I use that better? Absolutely. I think it's also something about, it's really interesting that... Um, more space doesn't necessarily attract more. Like, I no. think it's about the, no. capa the, the capacity no. of that space. So, no. I mean, the, 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 the sort of alleyway that's created between Malt House and Acker is a yeah, really interesting great. space yep. that we've um, been proactively this last 18 months really trying to activate a whole new um, lot of new activities. It's interesting, as soon as you fill it with three or 400 people, it actually attracts a whole lot of people from around the community that have never come to that space before. Well, the protest with the dance, the dance-off was so yeah. awesome. It was so good. Yeah. yeah. It's a natural why. amphitheatre there. Yeah. Mm. It's fantastic. But if it was any larger than that, I think you wouldn't be able to increase that capacity and increase that reach. I think there's something to be said also about the gardens and the fact that this is actually quite rare to have this much natural sort of, you know, mm. asset in one area. And the idea of building more buildings just for me seems sort of wrong. It's it's almost like we should be maybe doing the opposite, but just making spaces within those pockets. Like building more buildings just seems to be perpetuating the problem to me anyway. But I think things like testing grounds is hugely successful in, in what they've done. And I, di um, I didn't realise until today I read um, Timothy Moore, uh, who's a Melbourne artist and architect, and he sent me his paper he'd written on testing grounds. And I didn't realise that they actually started purely on a budget that was allocated originally to maintain that site. So $2,000 a month was, was spent by local government to get rid of weeds and graffiti on that site. And then that was just put into their budget to, to you know, put milk crates. And, and that space is so vital and vibrant mm. and awesome on nothing, like mm. on hardly anything anyway. People get married down there now. <laughs> it's amazing. 
But that, that kind of thing, like, it doesn't have to be permanent either. No. Continually changing is what makes the place vibrant as well. Well, the people. And the people coming to it, yeah, yeah exactly. And I suppose I want to pick up on that, Naomi, with your... Um, with this building, I mean, we're sitting here, it operates on a very human scale. It's open to the elements. It's also... It's not supposed to be. <laughs> very well air-conditioned. <laughs> it's also open to people. Um, it's on a new site for the Arts Precinct. I mean, um, can you talk a little about what you felt yeah. was missing from the precinct? Well, really, this is an old space for a meeting ground. And as Robert said, it was um, originally used by the Kulin Nation. And um, my inspiration actually came from John Truscott, who used this space for a tea house and two botanicas in 89, 91 and 92. I'm sure Martin Carlson, the chair of that foundation, can correct me if I don't have my dates exactly right, but it was around that time. And John actually envisaged um, the Melbourne Festival, which at the time I think was called the Spoleto Festival, mm. um, as an outdoor festival. So if you look at images of St Kilda Road, he had these enormous, um, beautiful, beautiful, um, like banners, arches built right across mm. um, St Kilda Road, very embracing of the public into this area. And the arts... The Southbank Arts Precinct has always been imagined on the right-hand side and then going down um, Sturt Street. But in actual fact, John Truscott imagined it being much more inclusive on the left and the right. Mm. Um, and I actually saw Botanica and it was the most magical, magical building, temporary building put up here and inside Kevin O'Neill and Paul Bangay, who has returned here and done all of these garden beds, um, did a um, botanical, uh, I guess, landscape inside those um, temporary buildings. So my inspiration came from John Truscott from the late 80s and 90s and as Rob attests to the fact that when I wanted to do this project, it was only on this spot because it had that memory and it had that collective memory of being the space, which is actually why we put the gold on here because BJ wanted to continue that collective memory. So daily, somebody actually puts a piece of gold paper on these bamboo poles. Um, I, I always imagined that this could be something to do with the arts precinct. It didn't, this left-hand side needs to be as included, but the permanency wasn't what I think was needed. I mean, I agree with Ty and I agree with Rob. We don't need any more buildings mm. in an arts precinct. The fact that the conservatorium is also going to put its back to Sturt Street is a great disappointment to me, mm. um, just like the ABC has mm. already now. Um, people aren't looking at this precinct as a whole. They're looking at it as individual buildings. Mm. Um, and again, as Rob says, we're never going to be able to achieve what we want to achieve here. Uh, we're going to frighten people away. We won't have any street life here. Um, it, it's very disappointing because we have got the capacity and the imagination to do it. So, Rob, if, if in fact we're looking at these in-between spaces, the streets, the interstitial, interstitial spaces, as potential sites for further engagement and for really enlivening the area, how would the city go about addressing that? 
Well, I think one of the first things is that discussion amongst the different institutions as to how they can externalise. So, for instance, we, as I mentioned, we're going to look at, uh, going to look at, we've actually got a plan in place for South Bank Boulevard to take away half of the asphalt and convert it to a linear park. Right. The very next question we asked ourselves is which of these buildings could open up mm. to that linear park and actually inform it? Now, clearly the Recital Hall uh, and uh, Melbourne Theatre Company have got openings onto it, so that can work. So we looked across the road and saw uh, the art gallery and the car park, and we thought, you know what, when we first started looking at buildings externalising the top of Flinders Lane, and we went to Iron Pay's building, which just had concrete walls down Flinders Lane, we said, can't you open it up? Well, after we'd been plugging away for 20 years, they opened it up. You make more money out of a hole in the wall than you make out of a concrete wall. So the discussion was, well, why don't we just open up the back of the car park? You can take, you know, the first couple of rows of car parking out. You can put a restaurant or, you know, a gallery or something into that space. The pushback was quite remarkable. Mm. You know, this is our car park. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, it's that attitude of, you know, me rather than us that is actually making this really hard as an exercise. You know, people, I think, need to start thinking about collectively if we made those small changes, if we opened up a wall, if we provided activity and, and you know, I was right, it, it doesn't have to be posh space. No. It yeah. can just be, you know, it's pretty ordinary it's space. Yeah. It's, it's better if it's not. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's right. Then you would start to get people <coughs> saying, actually, this is quite an interesting, edgy place to be and I'll go down mm. there. But at the moment, we're not getting that. And we're not getting any buy-in, it seems, from people who are building the Michael Buxton gallery is going up there on the corner opposite. Mm. It actually has a very hard edge mm. to the street as well, conservatorium. It just keeps happening. There are there are no design principles which people have to work to. Yeah. I think... And, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, you go. I was just going to say, I think one of the positive things is VCA, you know, opening up to Sugar Mountain Festival, which is really... Yeah. But it's only once a year. But that... And I think they're closing off Dodd Street and making yeah. that just yeah. a, a plaza-type space. Yeah. That's really positive. But there's so many other things that could just... Don't have to be about presentation spaces. I think part of the problem also is that these spaces are all... Uh, finished work is presented here, whether it be a performance or a festival. What about spaces that people can, you know, rehearse space Mm. or, you know, talk or have, like, I mean, this is the best example of that. But even I just put a call out on Facebook today and some of my more opinionated artist friends, all of them sort of said the same thing. Like, we don't want presentation space. We Mm. want space where we can work or talk or share ideas or be, you know, vital and together and artists. And that doesn't cost very much money. And We've got a good air-conditioned space here for them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and Ty, I mean, that, that is, a, I think, a really important point about this whole mm. area. It's really about consuming art and culture. There's not much art and culture being made. Mm. So if... Um, I'll put this question to both Matt and to you, Ty... If that were a possibility, what what do you see as being part of that 
you know, what, what are the integral elements of... I was thinking that actually driving here, I was thinking, well, how would that... I mean, you can't exactly have temporary artist studios on the sidewalk, then we'd be like homeless people just working and, you know, that doesn't work. So, and then I was thinking, well, what, when do I ever get any work done or ideas done? I have two small children, so we spend... Any time I come to this area, we go to the um, children's garden in the botanical gardens. It's an amazing space. It's so interactive and it's so... It's just well-designed garden space that has elements that they can occupy themselves with and I can read or write notes or whatever, draw. And that type of space, particularly, I think, for women, um, if you had a space that was easy for children to use as well, that was public and free and had some kind of either Wi-Fi or interactive garden elements, would be perfect for me. That would be amazing. Yeah, I think about spaces that are sort of have a really clear <coughs> invitation, I guess, to either be a civic space that can invite community in, yeah. but also to be where a place where artists can create, because I think there's quite a interesting sort of division between the organisations and building in this precinct that are shit exhibiting or um, you come to experience art and ones that are offering that and also creating it. Mm. And I think the spaces that, um, are, that are creating it as well, I think, have a a different sort of vibrancy because I think there's people in there all the time. They're not separated, the creation and the presentation. Um, And I think, you know, I don't feel like at the moment the art centre is a place which you go to then sit around and brew up ideas in. It's a place to go consume or, you know, to experience the work. Um, You know, I I I feel like, you know, the library is a fantastic example of a place that seems to just attract a really diverse, uh, you know, audience and and community and space to meet, to discuss ideas, to use the facilities, but it's a sort of central gathering location. And also things like Signal and Art Mm. Play, which I've just been lucky enough to be involved with, which is also (coughs) employing artists um, on their terms, really, you know, well-paid, but working with kids that are either at risk or just children before school, that those institutions are amazing. Mm. They're so such good use of public money, I think, and more of those type of, you know, places where things are made and discussions are had and, and kids can, you know, not be on the internet all the time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> um, Matt, you've, you've talked about um, how, you know, there's a, a sort of natural amphitheatre at the Malt House that... Um, there are some connections being made with your neighbouring organisations that there's the potential for artistic collaboration mm. that may not have... That conversation may not have been had before. Um, I'm interested in whether you think this could, you know, set up a model for other parts that could then roll out to other parts if it started within your sort of, you know, site. Yeah. You know, how that... What could grow from that? How that could affect the artists, the audiences, the organisations that are there, and mm. also the residents? Well I, well, I hope if we if we can pull it off, that would be great to allow that to be sort of um, extending beyond our small sort of plot. Um, look, I think the key is is uh, it is this sort of contradictory thing of everyone. Every arts organisation is under resourced, and everyone is working beyond, you know, endlessly to to deliver and sort of create the work that's their vision for that organisation. But I think particularly our relationship with, with ACCA and Chunky Move is becoming far more um, shared in many ways. Um, with all the three organisations in that sort of small precinct work on very different rhythms, 
very different artistic rhythms. We're constantly sort of uh, communicating to the public in different ways, announcing programs and projects at very different paces. But at the same time, um, you know, we're sort of seeing the new exhibition at ACA Sovereign um, being announced, uh, and certainly there are links to some of the, the work that's happening in our theatre, um, as well as some of the dance work being made in, by Chunky Move in the first half of the year. And it's sort of, in some ways, the connection is there, but the organisations need to alert the audience to those connections. In but some could one. you ever imagine a common administration having been the chair of ACCA? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, tried that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. I mean, the, I, mean I think the, that at the moment those buildings are being maximised. I don't think there's any spare corner of space. But I think if there's... <laughs> uh, <but> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's a way to have common marketing, common PR, common administration, common accounting, all of the sort of backroom administrative work could be done very, very successfully between those three organisations in such a tiny space. But each one of you has all of those facilities mm. yourselves. But you could save a lot of money by doing that and mm. spend it on the things that you want to spend it on. Why stop at three? Well, I was only trying you to know. do three little ones, and <laughs> no. I didn't get very far yeah. either. Yeah, but because I think if you actually took it on that precinct basis, you know, we talk about precincts and neighbourhoods, if you've got, you know, all those players in there, why isn't there an overarching, you know, strategy about communications and, you know, mm. promotion that's shared between everyone? Because you all individually do it well, but you, you're repeating the skills, you know, a I dozen times. Yeah, I think there's something in the, the, the marketing communication that I think can be far more shared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think the administrative processes of all those organisations are quite different sure. internally. But what um, about one ticketing place? Yeah. That would be good. Just <laughs> one ticketing place. That doesn't take away from anybody else. No. Just yeah. you get your tickets here, but everywhere yep. around mm. here. I had a dream once that we could have an art tram that actually went from King... Mm way all the way up to the museum mm. and I was told by the tramways board at that time probably about 12 years ago I think Rob might have seen that letter that trams don't go round corners <laughs> that was the answer I got but wow. I mean imagine <laughs> imagine if you had a tram that went from all, all the way down there and each institution could have the tram we had 12 institutions each institution could have the tram mm. for one month Tram was called the Arts Tram, mm. but you could do anything that you liked inside that tram for one month of the year. Of course, everybody would get upset because they'd want December, which is <laughs> when you have the most traffic, <laughs> or January when you have kids out there. But there is capacity to share these mm. assets that this city has, mm. and there are so many ways to do it and so many great organisations. I personally think mm. it needs leadership. I think it needs city to say this is what's going to happen sorry not just the city but state government <laughs> or the city it needs real leadership to say this is how we're going to make our city great you fall into line i i think can i add something to that i think i agree with that i think the art tram would be amazing mm. as well i've tried I'd love to go I'll on that I'll try tram. again for you, Ty. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I think I'd just like to add, I mean, I sat on a panel for the city of Darabin yesterday um, brainstorming ideas of, you know, how to make the council more appealing to artists. And one of the things that came up that I think is actually quite a basic thing is to, if, if you want the, the area to be vital and about art and creativity is to ask artists to be on boards 
and ask artists to collaborate with, you know, with those people. Because <laughs> often, even though it's showing our work, or we go and you're not allowed to take notebooks in there, but you're allowed to go and have a look, um, often is, there's no crossover there. You know, there's nothing in there. And even in planning and, and architects, I know, do it a little bit, but... Ask the artists to, to be involved. There are yeah. artists on all those boards. Well, yeah, maybe older artists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some they artists. are very old artists. Yes. yes. I don't mean are. to be I don't mean to be ageist, but you know what I'm saying. Like in that pro- process of planning as well. Yeah. Ask those people to be involved. Yeah. I think there have been some examples of that, and mm. I agree with you. I think it should happen more often. I mean, uh, in in a building we did CH two. Yeah. We actually, uh, you know, had three weeks of intensive designing the building. Mm. And uh, there, there must have been about 15 of us. Three of those were artists. That's good. And people said, why artists? And I said, because they ask all the difficult questions. And they you speak know, the truth. They, the yeah, they're, yeah, they're not going to be tired by, you know, an engineering solution. Or political alliance. Political, they, they're going to think around it. So I think you're right. We need to, in fact, bring uh, it in. And it comes to the root, I think, you don't want to get too broad of, this, of our society where I don't think our society values creative people. And it's a problem I've had. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned art, play and signal because they're very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they're dear to my heart is that as a kid of uh, sort of 14, I was asked whether I could do art or biology. <laughs> and you go home to mom and dad and say, I've got to make a choice, art or biology. And they say, oh, you know what, you'll get a better job with biology. Yeah. Well, thank goodness biology had a lot of drawing in it because I, <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. But, you know, what I really disliked was that I was taken away from art for a whole, whole period where I was mostly at my most creative. And, and I think what we're doing in our education system, we keep on seeing references to science and maths and where we're falling apart. Where do we get the references to where we're going creatively? Mm. Uh, and, and where would we be with companies that would be more creative? Mm. So I think we've got a really big agenda here about this does not at the moment behind me represent a vibrant creative culture. Half the time and it doesn't even represent women, let alone a vibrant yeah. culture. So I think it, we're going a long way now. Until, <laughs> until, it actually, you know, until it actually gets to that where people come to this area and think, you know, this is cutting edge where we are. And I know, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to put it down, I think Tony Elwood's doing a fantastic job inside the gallery uh, in, in sort of changing it over. Um, but it, it needs to be more vibrant. And, and part of it might be like the music festival. Um, when the music festival started, it didn't have a venue. And that's what is, that was its greatest asset. Yeah. It had to go out each year and find another venue. Mm. And, and so when I was riding my bike up Burke Street uh, last year and there was suddenly this music on the steps of the parliament, I thought, why not? What a great amphitheatre. We use it for protests. Why not use it for, you know, for music and, and creative things? Mm. So I think we've got to get into systems of actually allowing artists to become more involved with the fabric of the city. I, I agree. And even, I mean, a lot of artists think that developers are like some kind of devil people. And I've recently, I think it's really fascinating that a lot of developers actually really want to connect with yeah. with artists. And it, there's this funny divide where, you know, we think that they're evil and they think that we're just not approachable. And there's some, so much opportunity for, for artists to work with a whole, you know, plethora of different people in the city. It doesn't really happen. It happens a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, if what we're talking about here is really engaging with programming 
on a sort of in its broadest possible sense. How do we sort of combine that to ensure that the outcomes that we've talked about can actually um, can actually happen? I personally think it relies on leadership. I think that's all mm. there is to it. It's, it. It needs clear leadership, clear demands, needs to have a vision, needs to have... Um, we all need to forget about ourselves, we need to be inclusive. I, I, there's only leadership that, that, that's going to make that happen. Mm. You need a culture change, and I'll mostly get fired when I go back to the town hall, but look... <laughs> um, one of the things uh, that happened in the early 80s when they wanted to change the culture around the future of the city is they, they put in place a strategy and then they said everybody has to actually work to that strategy. And by the way, we'll take your funding away if you don't. Mm. So what if you just said, let's draw back all the funding that mm. governments give to all these institutions mm. and let's now put it in, a, a, you know, in, in one place. Common bucket. A, a common bucket. Mm. And now let's talk about what we can do with all that money. Mm. Rather than we give 200000 here and we give you know, half a million over here and you take it away and you squirrel it away and do something nice with it. Let's just stick it all in one pot and say, okay, what can we do with all this money? And what's more, we'll increase the money if you start actually engaging in, in a federation of arts rather than individual institutions of arts. And then philanthropists would respond to that equally well. That's right. Because it's a sharing and it's the view of philanthropy that we need. And it's then more we of could a, get match funding too. Yeah, and it's yeah. more of a level playing field so artists would feel like they're... Uh, it, there's opportunities that they could go for rather yeah. than having to go through a lot of hoops, you know, through yeah. institutions or, or individuals to get there. Yeah. yeah. I think we're all on the same band. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm just wishing that the government would increase funding to allow that equality to occur, you no, know. I, I think we could find some more philanthropy for you. Well, that would... <laughs> no, because I think obviously change like this is... Um, I think there's leadership's required and I think conversation's required but then the resources, how to do that without um, completely debilitating the organisations through change sure. um, requires the resourcing and I think yes. but that comes from leadership those but, resources can be but found. But I also think that's one of the problems is that you have and it's where Wendy started that you have uh, a lot of large organisations in this area and you have some medium and a lot mm. of small mm. and how do you make them all equal? Mm. And there's got to be a way to make them equal. Well, you measure the quality of their ideas, not, not the, the quality of their facilities. Yeah, exactly. And also, how do you let extra people, individuals and other people join that group, you know, to make it even more diverse? Because when there's only a handful of sort of players or gatekeepers in the area, it's kind of not... I don't want to say it, it's boring, you know? Like, it, it would be great if other there were other things that year by year changed and those those players came in and worked with those people. But if you, if you had what Rob said and you had a pool of money, you'd be mm, able to do, do that because you exactly. could activate and use that money for different reasons every different mm. year. Mm. And things like Testing Ground, I know that that's funded by Creative Victoria. I, I don't know a lot about it, but is that something that the city's looking to sort of do in other places or explore that model? I think we, you know, we, we're really very keen on uh, programs that, uh, you know, take areas like that and mm. actually exploit them. So, you know, hence I mentioned the music festival, but uh, mm. recently 
up at Queen Victoria Market. Uh, you yeah. know, there was a yeah, whole temporary, uh, you know, installation of arts. We used to do it in the lanes mm. for, uh, you know, six or seven years. I think the, the city is interested in that. I mm. think, um, you know, I think there is a big question mark about do we carry on giving funding in the way we've given funding in the past? Mm. Or is there is there a more efficient way of giving it? Well, like the army and barracks? What happens with the army barracks? What's in there, anyway? <laughs> Generals. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, uh, no, yeah, no. Let's not go there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, let's that's um, sort of wasted space, isn't it? Well, you know, <laughs> to a certain extent, I mean, there's a lot of space there that mm. could be better yeah. utilised. And... Uh, you know, if uh, I, you know, if uh, the army barracks actually thought of themselves in the way RMIT did back in the 80s, and said we'll actually pull down the walls, and we'll externalise ourselves. Mm. And one of the things I loved when living in Copenhagen is you walked right through the middle of the army barracks. Mm. Yeah. And the only reason you knew you were in the army barracks because there was a guy standing by the entrance with a rifle and all he said was good morning and you went straight past and through and <laughs> went out the other side. Or imagine having an artist residency in the middle of the army barracks or yeah. a bookshop or yeah. something. Yeah. It would be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go. Well, it seems that, you know, there is a vision evolving here that could be quite <laughs> exciting. And it, maybe this is an opportunity to open up for um, either comments or questions from some of you here. I think that there is a microphone Uh-oh. Yeah, I think so. People behind you can't hear you. I mean, you, you talk about, I guess anywhere in the country or perhaps internationally would kill to have all the ingredients that got co-located in a place like this. It's all here. Um, and I know you understand this, Robin, you're actually doing, uh, implementing these things, but uh, none of these institutions are going to open out onto the public realm when it's car dominated. And it's such mm. ordinary public realm, it's never going to happen. And, and it's that, I mean, I know you that this no. chicken and egg thing first and you've, uh, the M Melbourne City Council have done that successfully right through the city, but it hasn't happened here. Mm. And um, it's putting, and what this precinct says is we're putting cars over people yep. and the ngv are obviously saying that as well with their car parking we're not going to give any of that up mm. for uh for, for people so um and cars aren't mm. going to make a good arts precinct so ditch the cars <laughs> get rid of them yeah or at least sure. make them go really really slow well <laughs> no ditch them ditch yeah them. no I'd, look I'd, to a certain extent you're absolutely right and i mean when we did that strategy um uh, that was finished I, I think it's about 18 months ago now we made a commitment that we would spend $10 million in 10 years in this precinct. Well, we're actually spending about $19 million closing half of South Bank Boulevard and Dodd Street, which we, we're saying we'll give back to the university. Um, so you're right. Uh, you know, some, at some stage, people do not interact with the surrounding environment from a car. It was a bit like when you closed Swanson Street. The number of times I was told that the retailing in Swanson Street was going to die. <laughs> They had 12,000 people walking past their, their shop front in the morning. They now have something like 45,000 people. You don't buy from a you know, car at 60 kilometres an hour. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, slowly, the only thing that is going down in the city at the moment is the number of cars. You know, businesses going up, uh, number of people living here is going up. So all the trends are in the right place. But you're right, until we actually make the space people places rather than car spaces, you're not going to get that interaction. Mm. Connected spaces. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Yeah, we. We've got a big opportunity about to arrive, and it's called Metro, because Metro will actually yeah. cut St Kilda Road down to one lane in each direction, and that will open up a whole lot of new possibilities as to what do you do over five years with its residual space. And I think it's a great opportunity to actually stand back and say, how could we better use this space? Mm. Yeah. Um, does, does the car issue, does that go back to funding issues? Because I know, say, the ballet centre, they actually make a huge amount of money each year off providing that. So maybe it's, yeah, it goes back to that again. It does to a certain extent. I mean, uh, I'm, one of the projects I'm responsible for at the moment is the renewal of Queen Victoria Market. And we had a meeting with all the traders the uh, day before yesterday, and it was about the temporary market we were going to put in, and they were quite excited about that. But if they asked 10 questions about the temporary market, they asked 40 about car parking. Mm. So, you know, we, we're in a culture where we value this car so highly that uh, we're very reluctant to give it away. And, and when you get to retailing and a lot of other things, a lot of it seems to be dependent on we've got to have more cars. Now, last night at the, at the market, there were 45,000 people at the night market. They could not have all come by cars. You know, there are only 720 parking spaces out there in that piece of asphalt. So we've, we've got to realise we're in a different world now and, and stop pandering to the car. Mm -hmm. There's a question over there, yes. Yeah, I um, totally agree with Naomi saying we need leadership, but I want to add to that that the... I live in South Bank. This was advertised in this area. This is a very prominent place now, I think, in this area. And even if there was leadership, where are the people? The, I said I would have to get here early tonight to get a seat because it would be packed. Now, mm. I've come here to many uh, talk events mm. and this is the first time I've seen lots of seats available. And I think that's an indictment on South Bank that the people who live here are not really trying to make it a neighbourhood. And that, that's sad, in my opinion. That's a comment, not really. <clears throat> I agree with you. That was the first thing I said when I sat down as well, that I'm disappointed that there isn't a larger community that are interested in the South Bank Arts Precinct future. Mm. They're watching Grand Designs or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got a question about um, the architecture and what your thoughts are on how the NGV thought it would be a good idea to have a straight big wall. You know, why did they choose to close off and how can we avoid mm. that? Like, what was, were they trying to establish themselves to look powerful? What is it? What's the advantage that they saw and how can we just not have that mm. again? Where's Roy when you need him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Martin can help yeah. with that answer. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I no desire to be seen as an old fogey, <laughs> but I think there are some things that do need to be put on record. We are sitting on a privileged piece of ground, as were the sites over the road, which in 1861, the government of the colony reserved these sites of ground for cultural purposes. Not, not an unimportant step to have made at that time. Later on, as, as the decades went on, there was a great pressure emerging within the city because the current library building contained the library 
It contained the art gallery, it contained a science museum, it contained a museum of technology. All of those were within that building. In the times of the Balti government, there was great pressure on Balti about what are we going to do for this and this and this, and that came from people who were well positioned, I suppose, financially and otherwise in the community. And the land that was over the road there had all been there, vacant land apart from Worth Circus uh, and other forms of activity that took place there. So the decision was made that the gallery should be given a new home. Roy Grounds was sent on a trip around the world with other people, including Eric Westbrook, and they came back with a concept of what was a European gallery. Mm -hmm. And if you think about galleries today, they are very different places to what they were then. The land going north of that, up to where Naomi had mentioned before he got to the concert hall, had been reserved and progressively pressure came to provide spaces for the theatres and the ballet and other organisations. A whole set of issues took place about the, the uh, ABC and the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra who were still performing in the town hall and complaining about everything that was wrong with it. There was a bit of land that's across the bridge on which there were two fountains which, were, which had been donated by Ken and Bailey Meyer in memory of their father. This was a place called Snowden Gardens. And for two years we went on in a fight with the City of Melbourne about transferring that land to the Arts Centre so the, co the concert hall be provided in establishing, if I'm to say so, a cultural precinct down that strip of the land. And that, that took place. That meant uh, we had to negotiate with the City and the Department of Civil Aviation and everybody so that City Road was closed off. The tram came down here and did a right hand here. They can run, turn. Run, exactly, exactly. They could Seems turn. They can. And they did turn. And we then were able to cover the roadway, City Road, to extend the, the gardens. But the council quite rightly said in the closing of Snowden Gardens, additional spaces had to be created around the art centre building to compensate for the love grass. So that gave us the bit from Percy Granger's father's design bridge right down here to do that. And that was considered then a major achievement, a major compensation for what were the traditional art forms. And I think that's part of the conversation which does affect a change. Naomi all reflected on Truscott. Truscott was brought here from having lived in Hollingwood and having gained two Oscars at the age of 29 for Camelot to come and think through with us what should happen inside these buildings. One of the best things that Truscott ever did when he be, became involved with the festival was to take the festival to the streets and took to the streets in a way that the city had not seen before in arts, forms <coughs> and terms. So what I'm saying is that it isn't all doom and gloom. There are those significant things that happened at that time that have enabled us to be in the stage now where we are now questioning them for contemporary society, which is very different. Oh. Who, who ever dreamt once that the MSO would play in a, a community centre down the road uh, with on it all sorts of things that had nothing to do with music, but it filled the hall? There's a whole set of issues here that I think we need to think about very seriously in terms of what education has done, what technology has done, and what people's attitudes are to what they want to possess. Well done, thank you, Mark. I think the, and, and I think it's been put very well, but I think they were designed in, a, in an age when uh, architecture was about set pieces. 
um, and uh, that that came out of uh, you know a modernist theory about what architecture should be and what zoning would be. I mean, the fact that they were all put in one zone, you'd mostly question in this day and age that you know maybe they should have been scattered amongst the city. So I think that's the reality. It, uh, it doesn't mean it needs to stay that way. Um, you know, if you walk past the town hall next time, just have a look at where half ticks is and the others, and just notice how the stone down the bottom has been cut. It used to be two windows. It's now two doors. So when all the kids walk in to see the gingerbread village, they're walking through what used to be a window. So if you can cut stone out of one of the most historic buildings in town, you can start changing things. And the thing that worries me sometimes is we get tired up with heritage to mm. the extent that we don't want to change it. <coughs> and I think the balance between continuity and change is where excitement lies, you know, the old and the new. And mm. I think we should start reimagining how some of these buildings could be slightly eroded uh, and, and opened up to the public realm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we just start eating at a corner or yeah. something, you know, and just <laughs> opening it up. No, I think but Simon's got the... Got the just job. make it one big water wall. Everyone <laughs> would love that. It's a bit like the stables at the moment. I mean, you know, when I, I, I you know, the arguments about the stables going have been going on for years, and when I heard they were going, it was fantastic. And I heard that Heritage said you can have one opening, and I just thought, my God, why wouldn't you just open up the stables, yeah. all of them, to Dodd Street? Why wouldn't mm. they flap up mm. their sides? Why wouldn't they just suddenly become a celebration of that? Yet poor old Kirsten Thompson, I think, mm. is having to, you know, fight her way about changing the ground floor of that. So we've got to just be a little more, more tolerant of how we deal with uh, with heritage. And and I, I, I for one, I, I love heritage. I, you know, I think that memory is so important, but it doesn't have to just sit still. Uh, Rob, you mentioned the idea of um, perhaps the... Um you know, cultural activity not all happening in the same area. And yeah. it, I kind of think that that might lead on to another discussion on another day. So perhaps for today, we might wind up <laughs> and um, and go away with thinking about, you know, the vision that we've has emerged as a result <laughs> of what we've been talking about here. Wendy, can I just say something? Um, two of the books that are really interesting about this area, and I know... Uh, that I just read in preparation for this, if anyone else is interested. Um, Miracle Swamp is a great document about the evolution of this site and Naomi was quite instrumental in that happening. It's really, really interesting. It has a lot of old maps of the area um, and the sort of what's happened over that last 50 years, really. And this one, I think, is quite important to go before that. Um, this book is really important if you live particularly on Wurundjeri land. It's called People of the Merry Merry. It talks about what happened before that time and this was a really significant site as well. So if you're interested in reading more, um, yeah, they're my, that's my contribution. <laughs> reading list. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all very much for contributing to the discussion today. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's lots to think about and hopefully a way to find a plan to actually take some action. Thank you. Oh, thank you.